and welcome to Ladies Who London podcast. I'm Emily Dell. And I'm Alex Lacey and we are qualified London Blue Badge Tourist Guides. Each week we bring to you some of the best bits of London. What's with you? We talk about our favourite people, places and events with a little bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. We can be found on Instagram at Ladies Who London Podcast and on our websites, guideemily.com and alexlacy.com as well as our dedicated website, ladieswholondon.com for more information about the Blue Badge and what we're up to in terms of tours. <laughs> What are the giggles Sorry about? Sorry about that. I don't know. I was just, I don't think I, I actually really look at your face when I'm reading that. And it's the first time I've just, Charming. I don't know, just kind of, no, it was lovely. I was just looking at your little sweet little grin. my face it. and laughed. <laughs> no, in the sweetest way. Like, I'll try not to be offended. Anyway, how are you, sweetness? Lovely. I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. We had an exciting week, didn't we? Because it was your birthday. (gasps) It was my birthday. 50 again. How are you doing? I know. How do I do it? Um, We had a very excitable Saturday night, didn't we? We did. Which was great. Um, yeah, I went to a little sophisticated wine bar called Ops Wine down the Druid Street. Properly brought down the <laughs> down the sophistication level a few notches, didn't we? We did. Wasn't you? See, I remember turning around and thinking, "Bloody hell, someone in the in the room is singing their hearts that out." That was not me. That was you, mate. No, that wasn't me. You was were it? singing with Miss Magpie Tours Lottie Pops. What were we singing? I have no idea. I can't remember. Oh. But I remember thinking. Bloody hell, it's getting a bit rowdy, isn't it? I do Turn not remember that. It was my podcat. <laughs> I do apologise to the wine no, bar. No, 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 don't apologise at all. It was fantastic. I can't remember what you were singing, though. I, I honestly don't remember that bit. There was me thinking I wasn't uh, too drunk, but clearly I was. Oh, baby, we're going for it. It was a great night, and all of your friends are coming up and going, oh, are you the other lady who Londons? Oh, <laughs> people were loving hilarious. you. It was a great night. What a lot of fun. And happy birthday. Thank you very much indeed. Yay. Yeah, I had a lovely weekend. It was very, very good. I only good. had a couple of wines. I didn't go too bonkers because obviously Carmen was there. And <laughs> I still had still had my mum hat on. <laughs> and she was being a fun sponge, wasn't she? She was screaming her. her little she, she wanted to, to make her presence known. Yeah, bless her. Um, she did finally get to sleep about 9pm. So... I mean, fine. she's your daughter. She's always going to get to sleep in a wine bar, let's face it. Well, exactly. Yeah, get used to it, honey. But it was such a good weekend. You've got a confession, haven't you? I do have a bit of a confession. <laughs> um, uh, bit of a birthday brain going on there, or slash baby brain. But I completely forgot that yesterday was Sunday, which <laughs> means I completely forgot to put the polls up yep. on our Instagram page. I should mention, we usually record this on a Monday, which is why we're saying yesterday was a Sunday. Um, yes. So we haven't got the results of the poll this week because we haven't actually asked you. So okay, what don't day? Oh, worry. it's Monday, yes. Yeah, it's Monday. So don't worry, we're going to do two polls next week. It'll be the po- podcast pedestal from last week and then the podcast pedestal from this week one as well so you've got two chances to vote how exciting how exciting i'm so sorry however <laughs> you know who knows what state instagram's going to be in in the next few days i mean yeah as we talk both uh, instagram and uh, whatsapp uh, uh, and other things as well are, uh, are down for the count they are um, they're dead <laughs> they're dead i hope not i hope not <laughs> but anyway Anyway, have you got any shout outs to do this week? I've got one, <gasps> one shout out to do. I've got a big shout out. Have you? And if Carmen wasn't asleep, I'd be shouting to the hills. Um, yes, I've got a massive shout out to a gentleman called Fabian. Yes. Now, we've, we've <laughs> rather overexcitedly had our first bit of fan mail. Super exciting. So you gave this to me to open on my birthday, which was yes. lovely. And I should apologise to uh, the gentleman who sent it to us, who's by the name of uh, Fabian, because uh, he sent it a couple of weeks ago for our one year anniversary. And I kept it because basically I opened everything else. You did. And <laughs> really ate the cake. And shush! Um <laughs> And uh, so I wanted to give Emily something to open. So I had to wait until I saw her, which was on her birthday. So it's a little bit delayed in thanking you for this, but fire away, Em, because it's well, lovely. Well, it's a, it's a beautiful letter. It's handwritten and um, it's just glorious. And so I'll, I'll read a little bit to you. It says, Dear Miss Dell, 
and dear Miss Lacey. I mean, to start off, that's fantastic, isn't it? That's that so is sweet. Formal. Very formal. Let me just start by writing, well done. When podcasts of just about any topic you could think of started popping up whenever, wherever you looked, you two managed to come up with a concept that got people hooked and left them wanting more. Oh my Aww. God, my heart is melting. You promised a bit of information, a lot of laughs and a whole lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> a promise you've kept um, constantly every week for just over a year now. And more importantly, when everyone else started going quiet and back to the closest thing to normal life we're likely to get to these days you just ramped up the quality <laughs> oh my god so once again well done and it's just it's fantastic and that's just the start of a two-page letter and and oh fabian thank you so much we were we're so touched by your letter it's really oh. really gorgeous i'd say at the end it says stay healthy and stay awesome Oh my God, Fabian! Massive kisses to you. This is such a beautiful. Fabian, I think letter. you have you having of a fan in Emily as well. Oh my God! Can we be pen pals? What's your address? Let me write back to you. I'll put some stickers on it and everything. To draw you something, I'm sure. Oh, oh, so thank you so much, Fabian. And I have a little shout out to Amanda, who came on my Tudor Escape Box uh, last night. Yeah, um, she's over in in uh, America in. One of the Carolinas, I'm going to say south, but I'm probably wrong because I'm generally wrong about things. Um, but she came with uh, friends and family to do my um, virtual escape room last night. And it was lovely. And uh, um, so, hi, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you for coming on that. So how lovely. Nice. Yay. Did she do well? Did she crack They did the very well. They, yes. Yeah, they got through it. They did not need any extra time. Uh, they had Ooh. about six and a bit minutes to spare, I think. Uh, and so, yeah, they were. I was very impressed. Very impressed. Excellent. Um, well done. Yeah, they were. They were good code crackers. Mm. Yeah. Um, also, a little quick reminder that we are there are still some tickets left for Operation Mincemeat on the 19th of January mm -hmm. uh, next year. If you want to come and join us, that is the day to come. There are some left, um, but I know that quite a few people have booked, which is exciting. So if you want to come and uh, meet us for, a, I mean, like, like we said, we've got no affiliation to them whatsoever, but we like a drink and I'm sure there'll be a bar. So we're going to we try do. and uh, get a little spot in the bar that we can all meet and, uh, and say hi. So if you want to join us, please do. That'd be lovely. So last week, at the end of yeah. our podcast, we span the wheel, and where did it land? It landed in Lambeth, which is interesting because oh, yeah. we, well, I think we went there, but no, we can't remember if we went there or not. I'm sure someone will tell us. Um, but Lambeth is quite an interesting area for a whole ton of stuff and ton of uh, people. Oh yes, Charlie Chaplin was Lambeth, wasn't he? Gosh, we did do Charlie, didn't we? Yes, yeah. that's right. Yes. Yeah, he was Lambeth mm. uh, because he was born there. And I decided that I was going to go for, well, I'm, I'm, as my starting point uh, is one lady called Lady Lucy Houston. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm actually going to end up talking about three ladies. But my, my very tenuous link to Lambeth is that Lady Lucy Houston was born in Lambeth. So there we go. Uh, the other two ladies, as far as I'm aware, aren't linked to Lambeth. But... We're going to bring them all in together. It's Lady Lucy Houston, Hazel Hill, and Mary Ellis. Gosh, now, that is I, a, was, a yeah. trio of ladies right a there, trio isn't it? Of fabulous ladies. Um, when I say fabulous, they're you know they're, they're, they have one thing in common. And last week you said, oh, you didn't know anything about them, and you said, oh, what have they, what have they been interested in? And do you remember what I said their link was? Oh God, I think I said, didn't I say kind of like um benefactors or oh yeah philanthropists uh, yeah. that was it yes and you said something i said aviation oh you said aviation because yeah. i went away and i, and I thought because it was hill wasn't it did you say hill hazel hill yeah you were thinking of octavia hill i that's it i was thinking of octavia who hill. is the lady who uh set up the national trust yes i was so yeah benefactor kind of philanthropist although lady lucy houston is partly a philanthropist but that that's not kind of what we're gonna what we're gonna focus on today so much. I do want to tell you like her life story because she's really interesting, um, and then we're gonna take that little thread of aviation, and that is what links these three women. And it's actually something more than just aviation. One thing in particular that links these women is the Spitfire aircraft. Ooh! Now that's not something you would expect to hear with Spitfire is that it links women, three women, three women. 
Um, so yeah, that's what we're going to look at today. But let's start with Lady Lucy Houston, who was born in 1858 in Lambeth, as we mentioned. Um, she was born as Fanny Lucy Radmull or Radmull. Excellent. I know. Excellent. Great. I always love it when somebody's called Fanny because everyone's yes, starting. It's such a not a modern name. It's such a kind of older name, and and everybody starts tittering and going. <laughs> you can't um, help but give it a little smirk, but then realise that, especially when I'm in this situation, you think, well, she's obviously a very sophisticated lady. I shouldn't really be giggling away at Fanny. Obviously, the usage of the word has changed, and actually, it means two different things in the UK and America so um whichever way you're listening look up the alternative version I'm, I'm not going to go into that today but anyway <laughs> so she grows up she's 1858 she grows up in in Victorian London uh with everything you know we've spoken about Victorian women so much and uh you know that that background of the Victorian thing but she's got good breeding she's she's a good filly a mm. good filly um good filly fanny <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> at the age of 16, she does something quite... Uh, you know, essentially, the thread that runs through her life is that she is an eccentric. Mm. She's a very eccentric lady with all kinds of kind of crazy stuff that she does. The first thing, or the first major thing anyway, is at the age of 16, where she decides she's going to elope to Paris with a chap called Fred Gratton. Fred Gratton is a millionaire. He's She's 16. He's, he's significantly older than her. He's married and he basically dumps his wife and runs off to Paris with her. <gasps> with a 16-year-old. At 16. Crazy. <sighs> and in Paris, you know, he's this millionaire. He's sort of uh, tootling around in the upper echelons. She ends up mingling with princes and uh, and the um the the king edward the seventh the english king i should say not the french king well possibly the french king too uh, no there was no king by then ignore me on that uh, <laughs> but princes and you know the aristocracy and all that kind of thing and then he dies whoops um oh. so when he dies after they've only been there a couple of years uh he leaves her in his will an income of six thousand pounds a year <gasps> life so she's sorted already at the age of i guess maybe 17 or 18 wow and do yeah, we yeah. know how she met him i mean to suddenly I, bump into a millionaire i don't know i mean mm. by the sounds of it by the sounds of it she was born into a very good family doesn't seem to be aristocratic family uh, they seem to be sort of very much the the rising middle classes mm. um sort of your well her father it says he, he make makes boxes so i I assume that's not kind of cardboard boxes. I assume they're, you know, beautiful, maybe things like snuff boxes and gorgeous things like that. So we're talking about the upper middle classes, these lovely sort of craftsman type strand of of, of society. So not your aristocrats and, and people like um, Angela Burdett Coots was in, but, you know, up there. So I guess she just met him somehow through something and who knows. Anyway, wow. so... She comes back to England and she starts to get involved with the women's suffrage movement. And this is something that she was involved with for most of her life. What I should say is she doesn't actually marry this chap that she elopes to Paris with. So she's had a thing with him, but they ah, haven't got okay. married. The millionaire. But the millionaire. she obviously gave quite an impression because he's given yeah. her that much money. Okay. Absolutely. She's going to get married three times in mm. her life, mm. um, not including to that millionaire chap because, you know, they didn't get married. And her, I'd say her husbands are probably the least interesting thing about her. But we have to mention that the first one, she gets married at 25 uh, years of age. He's called Theodore Brinkman and they get divorced after 12 years, which is very unusual for the Victorian couple to get divorced. To allow um, that. Yeah, to allow that. So, you know, whatever. Second husband, she gets married. Now, this is where she starts kind of going up in the world. She gets married to the ninth Lord Byron, a guy called George. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, he's well known as red-nosed Byron. Yeah, well done, Fanny. So this is where she becomes uh, a lady. Um, and they're married for 16 years. And during this time, this is when she's really active with the uh, the suffrage movement. Mm. And this is where we start to see this eccentricity come up. It's said that she bought over 600 parrots <gasps> and she kept them in cages that were red, white and blue. And she taught them all to, you know how you can teach parrots to say stuff, right? Yeah, my mum and dad, they've got an African grey. Yes. Oh my goodness. And yes. um, what, does, what does he or she say? Uh, he is called George. He says quite a few naughty words, but he's also, he's got my mum and dad's voice down to a T. So really? my mum's called Di, for instance. So he'll go, 
die, die, and she'll come running down the stairs no. thinking that my dad <laughs> has. So it'll be in the voice of my dad or the voice of my mum, and then it will be Ron, Ron. <laughs> Hang on, I'm just putting this together. Didn't you once used to be a pirate at something? Did I? Dancing pirate, pirate, didn't you say in one week? Oh no, I was a sailor clown. Please don't get that mixed up. A sailor clown? Is that why why you've got the the parrot? Did it all kind of go with the outfit? (laughs) Yeah, I just needed a parrot, you know? Um, No, no, he's great. He's, uh, yeah. That's amazing. George boy. Yeah, I love love animals, but I'm amazed by parrots and... Mm. The amazing stuff they say. What do you reckon she's going to tell these 600 parrots to say? Um, Give women the right to vote. God damn it. Yeah. They're all taught to squawk votes for women. Oh my God. How many? 60? 600. I've read 615 in a couple of different 615 in different coloured cages. All squawking votes for women. <laughs> Did the colour of the cage represent, like, its intelligence? Or I don't think whether... so. It was just red, white and blue, so I think it was just patriotic, but still. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, it's absolute madness. Absolute madness. You could imagine going around for, for tea and cake and just like, not being able oh to hear God. anything because these flipping parrots. After a while, I bet even Fanny was like, oh, shut up. <laughs> I know. Who? Can you imagine? Hilarious. Anyway, uh, one other thing that she used to do is apparently she would walk around with this handbag stuffed with five pound notes because she used to really like (laughs) sitting down and talking to tramps and, and, you know, beggars and vagrants. And she'd sit down and have a whale of a time and be seen like (laughs) shrieking with laughter and having a great time with them. And then she'd pull out five pound and sort of pay them as a thank you for the time. For the entertainment. And then she sort of, she kind of like kill herself laughing as she went away and she'd be like, oh, don't spend it all on drink. Like just completely We've just like Um, parrot poo all over her coat. (laughs) No, she. You could, yeah. You can kind of. Oh, here comes the mad bird lady. But I'll get a fiver. So it's like at the, you know, like Home Alone two. Yes. Woman in the park. Like yes. this is what I'm imagining. <laughs> but just the handbag stuffed. Yeah. Full of instead of a couple of turtle doves, she's just got like a crazy amount of parrots. Six hundred parrots. <laughs> Hilarious. And um, but one thing she does do. So you mentioned philanthropy. She is philanthropic. She um, set up a rest home for nurses during the First World War, Lovely. and she was then given uh, the Damehood. So she became a dame, a lady uh, and a dame, a lady and a dame. Yeah, dame, dame, lady, Lucy. Um, and she was given that in 1917. So just uh, towards the end of the First World War. Um, this is something that she was actually one of the first five women ever to be given a damehood. So she's First she's up five. there. So you know, um, she's uh, wow. she's a bit of a trailblazer. Um, and then the same year that she gets the damehood, uh, hubby dies. So that's that's husband number two gone. Let's uh, get on to husband number three. So she takes up with a chap called Sir Robert Patterson Houston. Mm. So this is where we get the name Houston from and, and the ladyship and all that. He is a Liverpudlian ship owner, right. uh, and he's also a robber baron as well. Do you know what a robber baron is? A robber baron. It's basically somebody who makes his fortune from being a bit of a uh, a dodgy sort and, and doing all kinds of really horrible, nefarious things to make your money. So he's basically made his money through just really nasty means and stuff like that. So, but he wouldn't he wouldn't call himself that. Uh, no, I wouldn't have thought so. I suspect that that's a, a term given. Oh, well, maybe he did. I don't know. Maybe that was a kind of yeah, haha, stuff the lot of you. I've got the cash. Um, but anyway, he whatever, what, yeah, whatever. Whether he called himself a robber baron or not, he it does sound like he was not the nicest to people. He was a massive misogynist. He was very rude and arrogant and a bit aggressive. So, well done, Fanny. Great choice. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, Why did she go for him then? Because she's clearly she's up for a laugh and you know well, doesn't take life too seriously. Yeah, I don't know. But I'm going to give you a little guess after I tell you what happens. Okay. Um, they get they don't get married until uh, well they they get together in I think shortly after her last husband dies they get married in 1924 and two years later he dies and he 
in, her, in his will, he leaves her about four-fifths of his fortune, <gasps> which was about six to seven million. And apparently, prior to him dying, he'd shown her his will and he'd uh, bequeathed her one million pounds in it. And she had an absolute hissy fit and tore it up in a fury and said, that's not enough. <laughs> so <gasps> Not enough? So maybe there's the answer as to why she married him. <laughs> I don't know. Gosh. Yeah. There are no particular records as to why she married him. But anyway, what they'd also done... Well, in fact, no, some people thought that she'd killed him. Some people said, oh, she'd murdered oh. him to get her hands on the cash. And they tried to have her um, committed, uh, but it didn't work. But anyway, what they'd done prior to him dying was to move to Jersey, um, which for those who are not based in the UK is a little island that's part of the British Isles. And they have different tax laws in Jersey. And they moved there to avoid tax, essentially. Mm. And there were a few MPs who stood up and went, look... <laughs> This is really cheeky. You are, um, you owe death duties on this massive estate. And she was like, nope, I'm in Jersey. I'm not paying them. <laughs> you can come and get me. Or oh, is this where the Spitfire comes in? Like they send in a Spitfire. Yeah, exactly. No, there we need no to get fannies. Go, go, go. Now, she does decide that she's going to send £1.5 million to the Chancellor, the Exchequer, because she liked him. Do you know who the Chancellor was in the uh, mid, uh, what would have been? 20s? 18. Yeah. What, 19, 19, 1920s? late 1920s? Was it, oh. It's a big name. Clement Attlee? No, it was Winston Churchill. Oh, it was Churchill. Yeah. And Churchill's got a great phrase about her. He says that she was implacable in her hatreds and insatiable in her kindnesses. So basically, if oh. she hated you, she hated you for life. <laughs> but if she liked you, then, you yeah. know, you, you, yeah, yeah. you were blessed. And she, and she did give quite a lot of money to charities and particularly ones that supported women's rights and all of this thing. Mm. But around this time, she starts to go massively politically right. She goes very, very right wing. She is a supporter of Sir Oswald Mosley who uh, starts up the fascist party in his black shirts and, you know, they're not good news. She's also, Mussolini is a very big hero of hers. She she kind of reveres him quite a lot. She admired his patriotism and she decides she's going to buy a weekly paper and she makes it sort of quite a right-wing publication. And I think there are a few people who bought it for that, but a lot of people apparently bought it because it was hilarious. Just, you know, the sort of ramblings of this slightly eccentric, very right-wing woman. So, you know, it's all a bit at this point. Um, and in the 1930s, we have the rise of Hitler in, in um, Nazi Germany. And she writes to Hitler, trying to convince him to join Britain in an alliance because she's really worried about Russia and communism. She hates communism. So she is willing to go in with Hitler. And admittedly, the 30s, we don't quite know the extent of what Hitler's going to end up doing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's still also still not great news. Um, but she writes to him and she writes to the um, the prime minister. And she's basically going, hey, let's get in this alliance with with uh, Nazi, well, with, with Hitler um, to, to stop the, the Russians. Uh, you know, so this is all quite politically charged at this point. So where does the whole aviation thing come in? Right, so she's quite forward-thinking, is old uh, Lucy. She says quite early on that any future war is going to come from the air, or it's going to be won and lost in the air at any rate. Mm. And she kind of anticipates the Blitz on London. Now, this is way before the World War Two has even started, but she kind of says, look, that's going to, you know, she's seeing what's going on in Europe, stuff's happening. Um, there's also this... Um, the, the League of Nations, which was um, created after the First World War, is trying to get everybody to sort of... They're, they're pursuing disarmament to try and de-escalate stuff. And she believes that we should be rearming. Uh, and as the sort of the threat from Nazi Germany comes up and up, she is very much going, we need to be rearming like this. Mm. So she anticipates that there is going to be a blitz in London. You know, There's going to be bombings happening in the city. And she goes to the government and she says, look, I'm going to give you £200,000... Uh, to fund squadrons of fighters for defence. And the government doesn't believe that fighters would do anything. They believe that the future of air warfare is in bombers. And they actually turn her down. They say, thanks for now, we're going to reject this money. We don't want to know. And she believed that the RAF, the Royal Air Force, was being massively underfunded. And in her paper that she bought, she is uh, speaking at this, uh, about this at length as well. So she, you know, she's using this as her little kind of sounding block or whatever. But the change comes in the early 1930s. 
1931, there was an air race and it was called the Schneider Trophy Race. Now, this is a thing that had been going on since 1912. It was, it had been held about 12 times, I think, by this point. Uh, and actually, the last one was 1931. It was set up by a French chap called Jacques Schneider, who was a, a balloonist and he, an aircraft he loved aircraft and that kind of thing. And it, it was a competition that offered a prize of about a £1,000. Now, the, the point of the prize was to encourage um, sort of technical advances in aviation and to try and get people to, to think, you know, more creatively. And it ends up becoming a bit of a contest for who can go the fastest, essentially, and charge around this sort of triangular um, space in the air and all this kind of thing. Hmm. But what it does do over the, the the 12 times that it runs between 1913 and 31 is it massively helps advance aeroplane design because people really want to win so they're trying aerodynamics and engine design and all of this stuff and what this does is it helps to pave the way for some of the best fighter planes that are going to come into world war ii and in 1931 the Royal Air Force has decided that, well, that the Air Ministry, let's say, so the ministry who who kind of governs everything to do with the RAF, decides we're not we're not going to enter it. Um, they've been sort of stripping funding away, and they go, no, actually, we're going to refuse the funds. The RAF have gone. Look, can we have some cash to to enter this? Be really good. And the Air Ministry say, nope, no, no, no. And also, we're not going to let you use the planes that you used in the 1929 one as well. You can't use any of the planes. You can't use the pilots. You, you, we're not going to allow you to do it. And so into this steps Lucy Houston. And she thinks, well, stuff it. If they're going to pull all their funding and not let them do it, I'm going to bloody well fund it. Oh. And she sends a telegram to the prime minister at the time, who was called Ramsay MacDonald. And this is the quote, and it's absolutely brilliant. She says, to present, to, sorry, to prevent the socialist government, so she's really sticking them there with the, you know, the socialism that she hates, um, from being spoil sports, Lady Houston, I love that, just being spoil sports, Lady <laughs> Houston will be responsible for all extra expenses beyond what the president of the Royal Aero Club says can be found so that Great Britain can take part in the race for the Schneider Trophy. Oh, that is absolutely She steps excellent. up. Oh. She donates £100,000. £100,000? £100,000 to a company called um, uh, Supermarine. And what Supermarine do is they use that to develop uh, the technology which goes on to win the Schneider Trophy. And that technology is then used in what becomes the Spitfire. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. So if this... If, um, she had never funded that the Spitfire may never have been made wow and she's got other interests in aviation in 1933 there was um, a, a very big attempt to fly over Mount Everest now this is about 20 years before uh, Tenzing Norgay and Edmund Hillary are going to climb it and there was a chap called Lord Clydesdale who was a, a squadron leader in the Royal Air Force um, he decided he was going to try and fly over the highest peak in the world in a flipping biplane really yeah. you know what i mean when i say the biplanes yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Those very, yeah in a flip that's what they had at the time a flipping biplane he was gonna fly over that i and well she was so didn't attempt in the did end attempt managed it did attempt managed. and she financed it <gasps> and not only did did they attempt it so he went in with uh, there was someone who, who flew with him as a co-pilot there was another plane that went just behind them to document it so they took video footage and photos and i'm going to put a link to an article with tons of pictures in it on the blog so that you can see that wow fantastic there we go um and so she was kind of dubbed well later on i say later on she was dubbed the fairy godmother of the raf oh, i bet she was and later the woman who won the war Oh, really? But, now, plot twist, she never sees that. She never lives to see the end of the, see the Second World War. Oh, no. She dies in 1936, so three years before the World War II even starts. Oh, gosh. But the reason that she died is... I don't want to say hilarious, because that sounds awful. Oh, was she eaten by her own parrot? <laughs> I mean, that would be hilarious. <laughs> Um, no, she, she kind of dies of a really, really odd thing. Um, in 1936, there was something pretty major that happened in uh, in the UK in terms of um, 
the royals. Do you remember what it was in 1936 that happened? Uh, the abdication. Absolutely. The abdication of Edward the Seventh. No, Edward the Eighth. Um, she was heartbroken by this. Oh, really? Now, bear in mind, she'd been hanging out with um, uh, Edward the Seventh, oh. um, and well, she may have known him. I don't know, but she was so heartbroken by this that she stopped eating and she died of a heart attack. <gasps> You're kidding me? No. No. She oh, was so devastated. It's so dramatic, isn't <laughs> I know. it? It's but so that dramatic. love must have run deep. Well, yeah. she can't have. Do you think that she also knew his wife or wife to be Wally Simpson quite I well? I don't know. I have no queen. idea whether or not she knew them, had met them mm. once, never met them. I don't know what her link was. But, but clearly she's very eccentric and she takes a lot wow. of these things very much to heart. So who knows, to be honest. Uh, wow. But, God, yeah. can you imagine if she was around during, you know, the time where Harry, Harry, Harry has come away from the royal oh, family. Oh, she would not be taking that well, she would she? would not have taken that well at all. <laughs> but oh yeah, so age gosh. 79, she dies in 1936. Which brings me on to my second lady. Hazel oh, Hill. Gosh, we're only on the only on the second. This is only fab. on the second. Hazel Hill was born in 1920, uh, and she only died in 2010. Um, very, very interesting story with Hazel Hill. So she is also linked to the Spitfires, and I bet you can't guess how. How would you imagine that Hazel is going to be linked to the Spitfires? So bearing in mind, it... Spitfires are being developed in the mid early to mid 1930s. She's born in 1920. So early, early to mid 1930s, she's a you know young teenager. Gosh, I don't know. This she's is a really mean question. For, she's going to work for the factory that creates the paint to paint them. I've got no idea. She is much more crucial than that. So she's a she's a teenager in the 30s. Okay, her dad uh, is a guy called Fred Hill, and he worked in the Air Ministry, who we mentioned. So the the part of the government that that basically looked after everything to do with the RAF. And so they are busy developing these planes, including the Spitfire. And we're kind of, you know, we're coming up to the start of the Second World War. Tensions are rising in Europe. We're not, we're not quite there yet, but it's definitely, you know, there's stuff going on. There's an arms race and all this kind of thing. Um, and they were starting to look at developing these Spitfires for potential use in a, in a future war. And they realised that, or Fred realised, I should say, that the original designs of the Spitfire weren't advanced enough um, and updates were needed. And one of the major updates that was needed was um, more guns to be placed on it. The, the biplanes that were used in the First World War um, were could only carry one or two guns. And But as, of course, there's huge developments in aviation in this time, they're going to need planes that can carry more than that. And at this point, the Spitfires could carry four guns. And Fred believed that four guns was not enough. They needed eight guns. Mm-hmm. And this is in 1934. And his bosses thought, they said, no, no, that, that's too many. They're going to be too heavy. They're going to mm-hmm. weigh the plane down. It's not mm-hmm. going to fly correctly. But Fred, Fred was convinced that he was right about this. And he had a slight issue in that he could not figure out the complex maths that was needed for it so you can probably figure out where we're going here he thought i have a daughter at home who is a complete whiz at maths 13 years old (gasps) what (laughs) i know and he brought home one of the latest calculating machines uh, and the analysis of all the you know the, the gun firing and all of this and he said to hazel look can you help me with this she was 13 and they worked through the night together on it and it was extremely complex, these calculations that they uh, that they had to do. They figured they needed eight guns to dispatch a thousand rounds a minute to be able to take on the, the Nazi planes. Um, and that's what they spent all night working out. And Hazel oh, was the I one. I love that. I know. Isn't it amazing? That That's such a beautiful image yeah. of a father of that age and, you know, clearly quite an intelligent man um, needing his 13-year-old... Yeah to help him you can imagine them sitting around the sitting around the kitchen table can't you with a mm. you know mugs of tea and and, mm. and a the bond the excitement lamp on and the and... outcome like yeah, yeah lovely yeah. and and he takes these calculations and he plots them on graphs and he presents them to the air ministry and the air ministry are convinced the planes are changed and the eight guns are added and they're a success <gasps> ding ding yeah right now what's really interesting about this i think is that um 
her father, Fred, he told his immediate boss, a guy called Claude uh, Claude Hilton Keith, about the fact that Hazel had contributed to this. Um, and they decided they were going to keep it to themselves, because, which is probably quite a good thing I reckon because if they went you know Fred went charging into the air ministry and went hey I've done all these I spent the evening doing them with my daughter my 13 year old daughter around the kitchen table they would probably have laughed him out the room absolutely so he and Claude Keith decide we're going to just keep it to ourselves but when Claude Keith goes to write his memoirs shortly after the second world war he writes down in his memoirs about her contribution good so he says Hazel this 13 year old girl is the reason that we, I mean, essentially, it's probably, I don't want this to sound super dramatic, but you could say she's one of the reasons we won the war. Because without her calculations, the Spitfires wouldn't have been able to get the number of guns they needed to be able to defeat in the Battle of Britain, which we know was a very significant turning point in the war. So, you know, that's it's quite a big deal. Wow. And to think that if he hadn't have written... Uh, that information about her then we probably wouldn't know that and there's probably so many so so many stories like that where people Mm. have just not been um uh, spoke about or written about the fantastic things that they've done and we would have known about her because but not until a lot later because her dad um all of his records so the records that, that he did from you know when he was working at the air ministry you know how these things are kept secret for a chunk of years i think it's 80 years i might be wrong about that it might it might change depending on what it is um but when his records from at the air ministry which of course would have been secret um were released that's when there was information about her but i mean it might have been you know who knows who would have read them uh maybe mm. nobody would have read them yeah. with the fine tooth comb and found out so yeah highly likely that, oh, that little hazel is, hill no right uh, and as you might imagine this amazing 13 year old girl went on to a very successful career in science uh, during the war when the war actually started she joined the royal army medical corps and she treated mm. wounded soldiers from well you know from all over from people from fighting abroad coming back and all sorts of things she eventually married one of these soldiers which is a rather sweet little thing Mm. she became a gp and then a child psychologist and she did she was one of a, a group of pioneering uh doctors who did work in phobias eating disorders and autism as well wow so she has you know just contributed so much uh, to this country, just incredible. There was apparently a BBC documentary on her last year, which was called "The Schoolgirl Who Helped Win a War." I I think it was a BBC. Oh, fab. Um So if anyone can find that, haven't, oh, haven't seen a it, but schoolgirl who it. won the war, fantastic, yeah. or who helped win a war, I think is is what it's called. Oh, I've got so to hunt that go. down. So that's mm. two out of three linked to the Spitfire. Two out of three. So we have to come to one of the women who flew a Spitfire. Wow. And this is the thing: is people don't think women flew spit, Spitfires. They absolutely did but in a very particular way. So this lady I want to tell you about is Mary Ellis. Now, I did speak about her briefly on Global Tea Break uh, a little while ago for anybody who used to watch those on Instagram. Um, She only died a couple of years ago at the grand old age, uh, may we all get there, of 101 uh, years of age. Yeah, Tasty. Mary Ellis, um, she was born in Oxfordshire to a farming family, but where she was born there were there's a variety of RAF bases in that area and so she was kind of around aeroplanes and and all sorts of things from basically the start and she sort of became a bit obsessed with them and really loved them her father got her a flight on a on a de Havilland um, moth plane and she said that that was it she she was in love from then on and so she just said she, she had this passion for the skies she took flying lessons and then when war broke out she got a flying license uh, or she had a flying license at that point rather which meant that she was a great candidate for a thing called the ata Hmm. have you heard of this before the ata no Hmm. no i have not so this is the air trans let's try that again (laughs) the air transport auxiliary Hmm, and this is yeah (laughs) it's on the tip of your tongue right it was um now we always think about men being the ones that flew spitfires but there were women as well they didn't fly in battle 
but they did fly within the UK. And this is what the ATA did. It's a civilian organisation and essentially they delivered aircraft that had been made. You know, you've got to get them from the factories where they've been made to the airfields where they're going to be used. And the majority of your, uh, you know, your, your fighting age men, the chaps who are fit and healthy and are good to fight, are fighting. So you've got to have somebody to deliver them. And this is where, not exclusively women, but it was majority women, came in to deliver, um, over the course of the war, over 300,000 aircraft between uh, factories and squadrons. Whoa. Um, yeah, so, and this, it was incredibly dangerous. And this is something that, as well, um, the public weren't that on board with. There was a, a magazine who wrote an article and I can't actually believe how awful the phrase is, what they said. They said, women anxious to serve their country should take on work more befitting their sex instead of encroaching on a man's occupation. <gasps> well, how are you going to yeah. get the planes to where you need them, for heaven's sake? You need these well, women. Quite. Well, quite. And uh, another of the editors on that magazine said, he called, they called the women a menace. He said, <gasps> the menace is the woman who thinks that she ought to be flying in a high-speed bomber when really she has not the intelligence to scrub the floor of a hospital properly. Oh, God, good. Someone needs to introduce Hazel Hill to him, for heaven's I mean, sake. Right? Thank you. Mm. Um, he should listen to this podcast. <laughs> yes, he bloody should. So, you know, the, the, there's not... There's not a great appetite for women doing the flying. And, and um, Mary Ellis says that she she sort of said... Well, she said that it kind of... At the time, it almost felt like a bit of a sin that girls were flying aeroplanes. Mm. But that wasn't going to stop her. And her mother wasn't that keen on it because, you know this backdrop of everybody going oh women shouldn't be doing this and and also it's you know highly dangerous job she didn't really care and she applied to the ata and got accepted so she became part of this group of people which were known it's a little bit reductive but they were known as the beauty chorus basically because of the large uh, number of female pilots essentially you know mm -hmm. women therefore you must comment on the uh, on how they look but nonetheless, we were, we we're obviously talking about the 30s and 40s and different times. Mm, yeah, yeah. Aesthetic, not brain. Exactly. So this was incredibly dangerous work. They were doing this without huge amounts of training. No, there was no instrument training, no radio training. There were no radios on board, actually. Um, and often these women were presented with an aircraft that they had never seen before. Because bear in mind, you've got bombers, you've got fighters, you've got a variety of each. And they need to be, be got somewhere. And these women would literally turn up on the day and they'd go, right, you're taking that one. And it could be a plane that they'd never flown before. Gosh. And so the founder of the ATA, a lady called Pauline Gower, she had a joke. She said, oh, the acronym stands for Always Terrified Air Women. Oh, <laughs> brilliant. It's absolutely amazing. So what um, Mary Ellis did is she said she was, you know, very soon she was flying these fast and furious aeroplanes, fighters and bombers all over the country from the, the uh, factories to wherever it was they needed to be delivered. She said it was very dangerous, but quite exhilarating. And so one of the things that she she always wanted to do is to fly a Spitfire. And one day she turned up and the plane she was flying was a Spitfire. She was so oh, excited. Wow. She so like, I guess, yeah, because it would just be random and just, wow, yeah. that, that must have been so exciting. Yeah. And uh, you say it's random and it totally was. And she said that there was lots of chat amongst the other girls that they'd go, oh, guess what I get to fly today? Oh, look what I've got. And and she said it was really exciting. And, and you'd get out of, of one, you'd deliver one and then maybe another one needed to go somewhere else or needed to go back to the factory. So you'd get out of a tiger moth and then go into a, bon a bomber Gosh. and then into a spitfire. It's and, a and major job. A major job, yeah. Like, you know, if you were in the pub and you met somebody, you know, you started talking to a woman at the end of the bar and she told you that she did that, you'd be... God, you'd you, have so many questions. You'd be and you so probably, impressed. A lot of people probably wouldn't believe her either. At least that's to start true. With. That's yeah. true. Because that's the thing. We just don't talk. Well, we just don't know about the women who mm. flew Spitfires. And in total, the number of people in this organisation, not exclusively women, but predominantly, was uh, somewhere in the region of 1,200, 1,300 people. Mm. So a decent chunk of people um, who are flying these planes. Wow. And people didn't always believe that she had flown them of course because when you arrive on this in this airfield and they bearing in mind they flew them on their own so they didn't have a co-pilot like you would if you were actually flying in in battle or whatever um and she flew this bomber down to this uh, uh to, to an airfield and she went down the steps she had a, got a parachute on her back and you know in a in the, the suit she needed to fly in and in order to to say that you'd done it correctly you had to take a little you know 
shit, a bit of paper uh, into the main office to get it signed and that, that, you know, say that you delivered it. And she came down and there was a load of people, a load of men waiting at the bottom. And she said, oh, can I go and get this signed? Where do I go? And they were like, no, no, we're just waiting for the pilot. Well, we can't go yet. And she said, well, I'm the pilot. And they didn't believe her. So they had to, they actually got into the plane, into the cockpit to search for the pilot. And of course, there was no one else there because it was her. Amazing. Just amazing. Wow. And she had a, you know, it, like I said, it was a very dangerous job and, and not everybody survived. There were casualties and, and she came close to death on a couple of occasions. She was shot at over Bournemouth, uh, possibly friendly fire because, of course, in, you know, the heat of war, things get mixed up. And, um, uh, and another time she was landing her um, plane. I don't know what plane she was in then, but it was in fog. She came in landing on the airfield and a Spitfire came in from the opposite direction and they very nearly crashed as well. Yeah. She also had um, a technical malfunction on one of her uh, Spitfires, which made the engine overheat and she had to crash land it. And she said, I just, I knew that I had to do something before the engine blew up. Uh, She said, I didn't get excited. It's just part of the job. You cope with it. Amazing. Gosh. And, and it's, you know, very, very dangerous. Um, the approximate level of, of uh, people who were killed during that job was about one in ten uh, of the ATAs um, during the war, okay. including actually Amy Johnson, who we did speak about on Global Tea Break, who was one of them. Um, yes, well. yes, I know about yeah. Amy Johnson. She, um, yeah, she was an incredible woman. Yeah, she died over the Thames, didn't she? Mm, yeah, yeah, mm. it's believed so, over the Thames Estuary somewhere. Mm. Although never found, so... Um, not quite yeah. sure. And then the ATA, when the war ended, the ATA was, was disbanded like everything was. And um, Mary was then, uh, she went into the RAF and she became one of the first women to fly the very first fighter jet. Uh, the, one of, Well, Britain's very first fighter jet, which was called a Gloucester Meteor. So she, you know, this woman... She grew up around aeroplanes and it was in her blood. She then went on to become the manager of an airport on the Isle of Wight. And she flew, um, she flew in one of her colleagues from when she was in the ATA uh, to become become the chief flying instructor there as well. And she also married a fellow pilot as well, a chap called Don Ellis, which is where she gets her surname Ellis from. And, uh, and basically the two of them seem to be quite exciting they would have what were described as legendary parties like really big deal parties Mm. she they both loved um driving fast cars as well and going into sort of fast car rallies and this sort of thing and just amazing and even at the age of 101 she was apparently still driving uh down to the shops and things like that and and all that kind of thing god crikey like you know i think even just one mishap and you listed off a few that that went wrong or, you know, she had to suddenly salvage the plane. You'd understand yeah. for someone to retire, but to continue. And, you know, she obviously just absolutely breathed being in the air, yeah. you know, yeah. that 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 get up and go. Yeah. And not knowing what the engine was going to be like or what the interior of the plane was going to be like and just to get in and for them to be expected just, to, to be able to lift it up into yeah. the air Off and get to where they needed to be. Yeah incredible incredible wow um and given that she always wanted to fly a spitfire she reckons that she flew around 400 spitfires oh so she didn't just get lucky once no 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 oh wow she got lucky many many times and and um she died at the age of 101 i think i mentioned in 2018 Mm. uh just an absolute legend i just want to leave you with one quote of hers um which i just think sums up her entire life and and everything that she she achieved she said i would like to do it all over again there was a war on but otherwise it was absolutely wonderful oh yes (laughs) yes mary ellis oh my gosh like you can just feel the sunshine coming out of her like wow what a woman what a woman so there we go those are our three spitfire ladies oh mary ellis hazel hill and lady lucy houston Ah, oh, you pick some brilliant people to talk about. You really Thanks. do. We've I got mean, three fantastic women there. Yeah, and I, I sort of wondered whether we just did Lucy Houston on her own, but I kind of thought that all three went together quite nicely. Because mm. no, when I picked three last week, I said well, I think I said two or three, and then I was sort of preparing it this week and thinking about it, and I just sort of went, is this a bit much? Maybe it'd be a bit longer this week. But I thought, actually, they go together so well that 
it, it just it's it's natural well i just love that you've got you know information about three pilots three yeah. female pilots that are connected to spitfires just you know in your in your arsenal yeah well they're not all pilots it's only mary ellis that was a pilot oh yes um but the other two i mean just yeah women all linked to the spitfire in some very tangible and i should say mary ellis is you know there were lots of other women doing exactly the same thing as her and one of the reasons why we remember her more is because she lived till 101 so mm. by the time we're sort of starting to because of course you know women the, the contribution of women in the second world war there's a statue in london on whitehall um which was made but it wasn't made that long ago it's very recent mm. so it's only really in recent years that people have started to have a look at the contribution of women mm -hmm. in the second world war and Mary Ellis is one of the few that was still around to be able to ask. So in a way, she's, this is going to sound really awful, I don't mean it this way, she's not, she's special, but she's not the only woman to have done mm. it. But yeah. she's the only woman to have still been around when we were starting to go, actually, these women really contributed quite a lot and we need to ask them about it before it's too late. Mm. It was like when you were talking about Waterloo Bridge and how, mm. you know, it's only just come into people's minds that it was mostly women who yeah. built it. Exactly. Mm. So there we go. Fantastic, Alex. Yay. That was lovely. Thank you. Podcast Pedestal. So we've got quite a lot of options for Podcast there Pedestal, There are so many options, so many options. Um, so I just think I know what people. I want to, to Oh, do you for. already? Quick. I do, yes. I mean, my am I allowed to say? Yeah, 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 of course. I, you know, when you started talking about the parrots, I was like, oh, yes, the parrots. But <laughs> then I, I gave myself a slap because, you know, <laughs> <laughs> because that's not really the crux point of the story, Emily. <laughs> you just love you it. Know? I just love the, I love love the, the idea of uh, telling them all to say vote for women. And there might have been yeah. a few rogue parrots that might have said God, stuff know. it or whatever yeah. <laughs> or coats for women hashtag or not all men <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um but no what i want to go for and i've got a feeling you might want to go for it as oh, well hello. okay is um fred <gasps> oh asking his 13 year old daughter hazel for help yeah i, I mean that is a it's a lovely image isn't it that thing of being around the kitchen table and mm. just like beavering away and father and daughter and what a great bond. I, mm, I think I that think is a really lovely one. It is. It's so beautiful. And just as somebody of an older generation asking someone of a younger generation yeah. for help is, um, I think is a really lovely thing. And just recognising that in her and going, you know what, this needs some serious kind of complex maths doing. And I mm -hmm. trust my daughter and know, mm. know her skill set. Mm, to be able because well, not many people would have would have thought oh let's let's go and ask a woman that sounds really awful but you mm. know they wouldn't but he knew his daughter well enough to go oh, she can handle this she's yeah. got this let's do yeah let's do that no oh, i love that so that's that's my that's one. your pick that's lovely i i mean i to be fair i think you're probably going to walk it with that one um <laughs> oh what do i or fly uh, or fly yeah um what do i find i mean <clears throat> I do. Uh, I'm a big fan of Mary Ellis. I. Oh yeah. What do I want to pick? I mean, I'm I'm tempted by. Um. Lucy's uh, support of the Schneider Trophy. Yes. Because if she hadn't donated that money, then they wouldn't have developed a plane. We wouldn't have had the Spitfire. We wouldn't have had the space for Hazel. Or the, you know, we wouldn't have had Hazel Hill come into it. We wouldn't have had Mary Ellis come in. Um, or do I want to go for Mary Ellis's 400 Spitfires? It's also a fantastic one. Um, they're both great choices, Alex. I think I'm going to go for the Schneider Trophy. Yeah? Yeah, I think I am. Because I think that's it's such a key part of the story that I think... Even though she's not my favourite of the three women. Who's your favourite? Mary. I think Mary Ellis. Mm. Although it's it's tough. I mean, I don't really want to don't want to pick a favourite, but I yeah. <laughs> because, you know, Lady Houston doesn't have politics that align with my politics, so I find that tricky. But that donation to of a hundred thousand pounds to uh, to get that plane made for the Schneider Trophy 
kick-started the, the development of the Spitfire and then, you know, helped to win the war and Hazel and Mary And I Ellis guess, and yeah, that. aided the stories of... Yeah, the other two. Number two and three. There we go. Write it in stone. Lovely. That's it. Oh, very nice. <laughs> well, there we go, guys. Remember, this Sunday, you've not only got that one to vote on, but you've also got <laughs> the previous polls... Um, of that will teach us to SS go drinking. Great Eastern. Yes, <laughs> my brain was mushy, mush potato on Sunday. Um, not that I really drank much, but uh, but still, I did. Um, <laughs> you did. You drank enough for everybody. I did. Yes. I did. yes. <laughs> so there we go. That's it for this week. Um, now, before we spin the wheel of destiny, uh, do you have anything that you're up to that you want to chat about? Um, sorry. Um, disgusting. Oh, right, won't put that in. Um, so just reaching out to people to get in touch with me if they would like me to do any sketches for them. I've had um, a couple yeah. of commissions come in for Christmas gifts, which is very exciting. So I am available as an artist. Um, if you want to check out my work, it's on Instagram at sketch underscore history. And I can do some Christmas cards. I can create, uh, you know, any kind of little image of a building of your choice or something that means something to someone Anything you love. You fancy. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I love your pictures. Yeah, just plug in, plug in my pencils. Plug in your pencils. <laughs> Wherever I can put them. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad that I'm glad that uh, you're getting some some nice nice drawings to do, which is lovely. Yeah. And you, busy bee. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, goodness, quite a bit coming up. Um, loads of, of uh, weekend walking tours. We've got Smithfield, uh, blood and guts and gory history on the 16th of October. It's Black History Month this month. Um, mm-hmm. So I have my, well, I, I put this on generally anyway, but I've got my Black Londoners walking tour on the 17th of October, where we look at some of the really interesting members of London society over the years. Uh, people of colour who have contributed in a whole variety of ways. We've got showgirls and poets and authors and politicians and you name it they're all in there it's fantastic um we have a harry potter tour coming up harry potter harry potter um and some street art and a whole variety of things and the christmas tours are filling up so uh, go and get booked in there before they've all gone yay excellent the wheel of destiny well it is time it's to time. spin that wheel oh. of destiny. <laughs> you know, a little jingle, like a little jazz, jazz. Yeah. <laughs> just, we're just going to fall into a little bit of jazz and it's called It's Time to Spin the Wheel. So what are you thinking? Are you thinking, well, we've done people a bit. What What was, no, we did SS Great Eastern last week. Well, I actually um, want to do a person. Oh, you do want to do a person. Okay. I do want to do a person. Fine. Um, I haven't done a person for a little while now. No, you haven't, have you? I mean, I did touch upon Isambard last week, but... Lucky him. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you still can't get the stains off. Oh, God, no, why did I say that? Don't put that in. I don't know why I said that. I meant... I don't know what I meant. Don't put that in. I meant... No, I'm not even going to tell you what I meant. Okay. Anyway, Probably better. Um, so I am... Yes, I'd like to go for a person. Give it a spin then, babes. All right, I'm going for it. And, oh, a bit of a fade. I love how every week you sound surprised. <laughs> I can't believe it's landed somewhere. <laughs> I thought it was going to fly off. Um, it's landed in Rotherhive. Hey, we're coming back home. <laughs> and we were here quite recently for... Oh, the Thames Tunnel. Thames Tunnel, yes. Oh, was that in Wapping? I think that was in Wapping, wasn't it? Oh, that might have been Wapping, actually. Yeah, you might be right. Maybe we haven't been here for a while then. So, people. Oh, now, goodness. uh, There's quite a few people connected to this fantastic area. Yeah. Um, I could talk about Turner or. Oh, I know. I'm going to talk about Prince Libu. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. You know a little bit about Prince Labu, a, a do very you? little bit, but yes. Okay, great. Yeah, so Prince Labu, all I'll say for now is is buried in Rotherhive, and it's pretty shocking that he um, 
that that he's buried here really and yes um, prince libu perfect mm, yeah. can't wait for that one okay um, great yeah amazing well that's it that's it for this week uh thank you all so much for listening please do go and give us a a rating and that way we try and get out to more people and um all that kind of thing Absolutely. and please write forward. us letters please write us letters please yeah, write absolutely. us letters <laughs> what we expect now oh. and do go and book for the 19th of January um, at Operation Mincemeat if you want to come and join us but that's it for us thank you Fantastic. so much thank we'll you for listening everybody week. as always lots of love bye bye